This week's guest on the podcast is me. It's it, it it's me. Uh, oh, oh oh my god, what what am I doing here? I got to get ready. Uh, quickly, roll the intro. <laughs> Hello and welcome everyone to yet another exciting episode of Is This Anime? I'm your anime expert, Jack Metcalf. And I'm the guy who doesn't know anything about anime, Malcolm Cloud. And we have a new guest, uh, Sasha Husband. What's up, fellow weebs? It's your boy, Weebzilla420, talking to Malcolm today about Oran High School Host Club. Malcolm, take it away. I never claimed to be a weeb. But you've um, watched a lot. You, This uh, is, uh, I guess this isn't your... This is me being bullied within two minutes of this podcast being started. If anything, I was sort of talking to the audience about, uh, Malcolm, what do you have to hide? Uh, well, people uh, like our age were tuning in to uh, Dragon Ball. I was watching things like King of the Hill and Everybody Loves Raymond. So, like what kind of a childhood did you have? You could, you could do that. You could do both. I guess, yeah, but I just never switched over. Yeah. I was just like, I guess I'm going to be... I gotta, I gotta find out what's happening on King of Queens this week. What's Jerry Stiller? Uh, so. Ray Romano was your Vegeta, where everyone else was so excited about like the Super Saiyans and like reaching that level. You're just hearing him go like. Uh... There, there is a, there's a fan <laughs> yeah. comic that crosses over Dragon Ball Z with the Critic, and I should find it and send it to Malcolm. You know that? Did you ever watch the Critic, Malcolm? I yeah, did. There's, watch there's the one where it turns out Jay Sherman is and a I, Super Saiyan. Oh my god! So good. And I don't really like John Lovitz. So I mean, it's, it's a comic. Um, it's not an animated I, thing. John, John Lovitz did oh, not participate. Uh, I would, I would love if uh, he did a fan reading of that comic, but I'm not sure if he's aware. That would be, that would be fun. Um, but anyways, uh, right. we're not talking Dragon Ball Z or, or the Critic. Critic. Uh, we're talking about uh, The Great Pretender, which was a show recommended by you, Sasha. This is our first right. listener recommendation. Oh, well, I'm honored. As you could probably tell, I have a background watching watching anime. That's not like my professional background. I've been watching anime since I was a young child. The first one I remember was uh, Pokemon. And yeah, that's sort of been part of my influence for a lot of my life. And I've known Malcolm for more than half my life now, since 2005. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. We met when he first came to my high school. And I remember from then until very recently, all of our friends, we would have discussions about anime around Malcolm. And then we would occasionally turn to look and see if he was at all interested. And the I, I don't even think you feigned interest. So. I, I didn't even feign interest. I was like, I'm completely checked out. I'm like, I was just sitting here. They're like daydreaming yeah. at certain points. I was like, what are they talking like, about? Who's like Malcolm? Dia? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Malcolm would, could be so invested in a conversation, like about any subject. And then as soon as we were like, so uh, I was on Crunchyroll the other day. Phone comes out immediately, like not not invested at all. So you could believe my utter surprise when a couple weeks ago i see that malcolm has started a podcast where he's educating himself about anime and i was just sitting at home going what the fuck so i messaged him almost immediately and said please let me have let me go on your show and talk about jojo's bizarre adventure for like four hours and he said no 
And then I was like, all right, well, how about these three animes? And he was like, two of those have been done. So today we're doing The Great Pretender. Hooray. And uh, I think I actually did did suggest that we should do The Great Pretender. And then Ma I even suggested the same episodes that you did. And then Malcolm forgot. And he's like, yeah, Sasha oh, cool. recommended these ones. I'm like, yeah, I, I had already told you. He's like, oh. And this show, uh, Great Pretender, it's it's awesome. Folks, uh, folks who are just listening for the first time, we usually do a history segment. But this show, I couldn't find a ton. I do have information about the director and writers of this show, though. Because the writer of the show, Ryoto uh, Kosawa, he actually, this is actually his first anime he's written. His other shows were all uh, live action stuff. Oh, that's an interesting, you don't, I don't feel like you see that a lot where it's like you go from live action to anime. Yeah, no, uh, and <laughs> uh, this show, it is about con artists and uh, probably not so coincidentally, uh, one of his film series, it, it started off as a TV show, it's now got like two movies, is also about con artists. But he's also like done like legal dramas and stuff like that. His his the closest he had to anime experience was he um he wrote the screenplays to the live action films of uh the Parasite anime. Oh really? Uh, I'm related to the Bong Joon Ho movie. It's a Parasite yeah. with a Y instead of an I. No, yeah, not the uh, Oscar winning uh, film from last year. Yeah, if you yeah. go into the anime thinking that it's it's going to be the Korean drama, you will be so shocked when you see a man whose arm just suddenly turns into a penis in one episode. That's why I did not watch it, but maybe we should. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <Yeah>. what? <laughs> it's a bit, well, uh, I, all I know is like the Netflix like uh, thumbnail, and it already was enough where I'm like, this shit's icky. It's on the list. <laughs> it's on, uh, I, put it on I, the list. I guess so. But the uh, the director of this, uh, Hiro Kaburagi, uh, he's done quite a bit. Um, of course, he he directed um, some of the Hunter Hunter OVAs, among other things. So you know he he's been around. He he did a series called Ninety One Days, a show called Hungry Heart, uh, and some other stuff which uh, I I'm not going to pronounce because I've literally just read these things. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, as as listeners will remember, I kept calling Hunter 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 X Hunter for uh, shame. In earnest. Just pronouncing like anime character names. I just don't like mispronouncing things like director names and stuff like that. So I I I did not look into like the dozens of series he's directed. So so sorry, dear listener, because we do have a lot to get to. Because yeah, we're covering the first five episodes of The Great Pretender. It's a show that premiered on June 10th in 2020. It's on Netflix, and yeah, it's it's great. Uh, do you want do you want to just dive into that right now? It's a, it's a really good show. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got to say right off the bat, this might be one of the my favorite shows we've covered on this podcast. Really? I think the last yes. show that I really enjoyed was Level E where, that we covered, and then before that, Carol and Tuesday. You know, we've covered a lot of very popular shows, a lot of you know different movies and stuff but yeah for t for the shows we've covered yeah this one is up my alley in terms of like the style and the story content so that is definitely what i was expecting when i recommended it to you because not to pull the curtain back too far on when this is being recorded but for the first number of weeks that malcolm was uh watching anime a lot of it was shown in stuff a lot of it was beyond your sort of understanding because you didn't have very much frame of reference and so when i was thinking of what would be a good show to recommend you Great Pretender came to mind because it is a lot more grounded in your sort of frame of reference for pop culture, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this one, like, you can tell, like, just off the bat from, like, it's got one of the best uh, title sequences I think we've seen in any of the shows so far, just, like, for credits. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I will, the opening, just the opening of the first episode with uh, Edamame, as they kept calling him in the show, just hanging uh, by... Uh, 
on a from a rope on the Hollywood side. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this this is different. Like this is this is gonna be this is gonna be interesting. And then the credit sequence is obviously very inspired by like 60s and 70s like crime dramas. Like all I kept thinking about was like the Pink Panther and like the Italian job and like the French connection and like all these great like yeah I guess throwback con artist movies which we don't really don't really see like Ocean's Eleven. Like we don't really see those kinds of movies being made stylistically anymore. Like, yeah, there are like these kind of films that are, you know, about con artists, but like the last like con artist movie I can think of was that Will Smith, Margot Robbie film Focus. But unless I am forgetting something. Yeah. I mean, there's I, other like heist I mean, movies. Both, but... Did Ocean's Eight? I mean, that wasn't very good, but it came out. I didn't see it, I'll be honest. I saw it. I saw it. I was so excited for it, but uh it was not good. Uh, yeah, movie. yeah, Jack. I'm I'm actually curious to get your take on the intro because I feel like we have very similar um, uh, backgrounds in terms of like what we watched. And I kind of rolled my eyes when I first saw the intro because I was like, "Oh, it's Lupin the Third meets Cowboy Bebop," just in terms of the tone. Like it was very jazzy, but it really grew on me because as much as it is riffing on those two shows stylistically i think it just it it set the tone very well for the rest of the series and also it's just a good opening in and of itself yeah i I love the opening even even when we were kind of running tight for time because you know i I binged these uh first five episodes right before recording i was i was refusing to skip the intro yeah Um, i never skipped the intro on the show no i mean i think sometimes with like dragon ball last week i was skipping the intro because i'm like yeah shit i want to make a sandwich before i record but not in this case no i was uh, in fact i'm actually quite hungry right now but no i mean i'm a, I'm a huge cowboy bebop fan i've got a confession i've only seen castle of cagliostro i haven't seen the rest of the lupon stuff uh, oh really i know it's dude it's such a blind spot um you, you can blame assassin's creed valhalla for taking up too much of my fucking time it really uh destroyed my <laughs> anime, anime watching Fair and then I bailed on that game too because I was like, "Fuck this! I'm 50 hours in. I'm only 60 percent of the way through. This game is bullshit." <laughs> but the cool thing about how in that opening uh, it does have a lot of references to those types of shows is that it is a throwback in the genre to the gentleman thief, which there was a lot more of in anime. Sort of what Malcolm was saying during these heist movies of like the 1960s, 70s. Lupin the Third was extremely popular, not just in Japan, but internationally as well, because to have a criminal with charm was like, it translated very well to an animated medium. And I was sort of expecting going into this show from the previews, I assumed that this Makoto character is going to be like a super suave and get in anywhere, get out anywhere with all of the loot type of character. And that's sort of that, that expectation was subverted so well throughout the series that it just made me enjoy watching every episode so much more because of it. It is. And um, I actually also just finished the, the entire series itself earlier today. I watched the last two episodes this morning and it is, so it is so funny because I, I watched the show uh, right when it premiered basically. Cause you know, I, uh, I follow the the uh, anime YouTube channel, um, Mother's Basement, which is kind of my go-to for anime recommendations. And actually, Malcolm, funny thing, uh, our our previous guest, Domenico, actually used to know the uh, used to go to high school with them, which is pretty fucking funny. That's um, such a small world, <laughs> tiny world. It turns out Vancouver is just rife with YouTube stars. Uh, Mother's Basement and Star Wars Theory. Uh, I, I I tend to know a lot of famous YouTubers who will not have me on their show for sure. <laughs> Um, but no, like, yeah, this show is great. It, it was totally up my alley. I, I think a lot of 
I criticize Netflix a lot for how disposable their content has been, especially when it comes to live action stuff. I mean, even something like Queen's Gambit, which which at the time of this recording, everyone was talking about like two months ago. And now I'm like, ah, in retrospect, that was kind of a seven. But their anime offerings have been really awesome. They've been pumping a lot of money into like really good creators. And yeah, this show is, again, I like Cowboy Bebop. So I, I was all in on this intro. I don't know. I, I like this show a lot. I, I feel like an idiot every time I watch uh, a case because I'm like, I always get fooled. Yeah. Um, no, they're so good at the misdirection. What I love about the, like a lot of the intense moments is that there's like this really intense, but very like genre specific, like very throwback, uh, intense like drumming. Like there's just like, a, I can't even like repeat what they were doing, but it was just like something where you're like, oh, of course, like. When something was like the stakes were rising, it was always the same drum beat. And I loved that. I was like, oh, I'm in. Like, you know this is important. And there were definitely like a couple of twists that I personally saw coming. And I think it's just because I've seen so many like films in this genre that you're like, oh yeah, of course this is what's going to happen. But there were definitely other moments where I was like, holy fuck, I didn't expect that. Like there were definitely, <laughs> it definitely had a balance between like, certain cliche twists that we can get into and then also other ones where i was like oh my god that's crazy <laughs> and like even in the final episode the final couple episodes without spoiling them because because malcolm might actually finish this entire series on his own uh time the first three cases of the show they are called uh, um los angeles connection singapore sky, singapore sky snow of london and then uh wizard of the far east yeah it didn't with for some reason they didn't air it all as one it sets up throughout the whole series a level of understanding of okay these are the rules these are the parameters around which this this show can function and it feels like in the second to last episode of the entire series it throws all of that out the window and you're just like i mean i buy into it but what the fuck how did we get here this is so crazy yeah uh highly recommend watching the whole the whole uh show through to the to the end for that very revelation getting back to the first arc yeah so like we start we start the show and it's uh starts off in japan uh we've got a character who will be called uh edamame by most of the i i can pronounce his name uh edamura but i'm only yeah it's edamura but all the white characters in the show call him edamame for some some reason before we even get to plot can we just talk about the fact that the uh the show starts off in Japanese, and when I first watched the show, I thought I, I was like, I was like, did I mess up my audio because I'm doing English dub? Yes, uh, I I love the multilingualism in the first episode because, like, there's so many references in it to, oh, Makoto, like you're so good at speaking English, and we hear him speaking English with his heavy Japanese accent. I I, I would contest that. I wouldn't say that he's the most fluent, but he's being pumped up so much that you kind of want to know in Japanese how he sounds so that it is funnier later on when, man, your your accent sucks. Like, I can't understand anything you're saying. Yeah, well, they had that joke where it's like, what is this? It's like a combination of like several different accents. <laughs> like, it's kind of that thing of like, you know, when you hear people whose English isn't their first language, who, you know, you realize like, oh, they learned English watching like certain pop culture things. So like, if you just like grew up trying to learn English and you only watched Christopher Walken movies and then all of a sudden you start like talking like him when you start speaking English, it's like people are going to be like, why do you sound like that? But it's like, oh, no, it's just because that's like the dominant voice that you were hearing speaking English when you were learning it. Yeah. So, so actually for like the roughly the first 10 minutes of the first episode, we're hearing even when he's speaking in English, we're hearing his Japanese voice actor, uh, Chiaki Kobayashi, which is really interesting. And again, like. Chiaki Kobayashi is 
speaking English. Like I thought, I thought it was just so, and again, the use of language in the show, even as a whole, like throughout the series is so important. And so even though that kind of threw me off initially when I first watched this episode, like, no, it's it's so integral to the show and doing that kind of switch over, I thought was brilliant. Yeah, and it also just grounds it because so many anime, there are interactions, or I guess in media generally, there are so many interactions of people who are speaking different languages. And it's never really acknowledged how they all speak with one accent or also speak in the same language fluently. And you're occasionally going to encounter in your day-to-day life people who are not fluent in your language. And it was so cool that it grounded that premise in reality from the outset. This plot, this this narrative, it's it's about uh, Edamame and his relationship with <laughs> this French con man, uh, Laurent. And yeah, so like we, we see Edamame, uh, he, he's a bit of a con man, but then he tries to con Laurent. And of course, he thinks he's got the uh, the swing on him or whatever. Like he, he tries to take his wallet or something and he comes back home to... To find out uh, it's nothing. What What is it? He's like also like speaking English with uh, Laurent, right? Yeah. Well, he he uh, identifies Laurent. And then there's like this talk about like, oh, J- uh, Japanese tourists think Jap- uh, Japan's so safe. They're not like this sort of stuff's not going to happen. So like, because he like comes in uh, when he meets Laurent being like, oh, I found your wallet. I found your wallet. And then his friend, whose name I forgot, like the uh, the shorter, older guy. Kudo. Kudo. Kudos to you for giving me that name, Sasha. Zing. Um, Zing. (laughs) You know, Kudo uh, claims it's his wallet, and then Laurent's like, no, 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 this is my wallet. And then, yeah, gets a reward. But I think at the time it was kind of implied that uh, Edamame had, like, stolen the wallet previously to give it back so they could get, like, a small reward. Yeah, doesn't go up uh, the way he wanted it to. Yeah, and then, like, as they discovered this, like, the apartment uh, that... Edama, uh, Edamame and uh, Kudo are in, uh, like, is surrounded by police officers. They have to escape. Yeah, and he, he ends up uh, hitching a ride with Laurent, and they, they make it to Los Angeles, and that's kind of where the real plot begins. Because they're going to uh, try and take down, basically, like, Harvey Weinstein mixed with maybe Scarface. Yeah, that's a kind of a fair, like, it's like some producer. It's like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of that producer... Um, Oh, I think it's John Peters, maybe like where John Peters yeah, yeah. famously he produced like films like Wild Wild West and, oh, and uh, Batman, yeah, and the Batman films where he like he famously there's Kevin Smith has this like famous talk where he talks about how when he was gonna he was pitching for the Spider Man job that John Peters was like there's got to be this giant spider in the climax and then that ended up happening like and it's like didn't make any sense in a Superman movie but of course John Peters just wanted a giant uh, Spider-Man. So it, that ended up in Wild Wild West. That's why you have that crazy scene. You're like, that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. A, and it's because of that. As a kid, I loved it, though. Yeah. But when you find out that he was Barbara Streisand's hairdresser turned mega producer, you're like, oh, so it, anyone can do this. And I feel like like that kind of representation of like what a Hollywood producer is, almost that stereotype, that's like what they're playing off with with this guy. Who's like part like schlocky Hollywood producer, part obviously drug dealer. But can I just say like how they get to Japan is or from Japan to uh, LA is hilarious. Where they're where they like he like I guess they have to take them the earliest flight for whatever reason. So they had to have him on the wait list, and he uh, and Mama is like, oh, I don't think that's going to be a problem being on standby. 
Because then they like, I guess they plant a knife in like a random tourist's bag who's going back to LA, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, imagine that. Like, I'd be. That's always my fear is like having someone plant something in my bag. And then they have Ins and Out Burger, which was also hilarious. I didn't realize there was a in between In and Out. Yeah, that was one thing that I grew to accept about this show is that they are so good at straddling the line between real places and references. But with copyrighted like imagery, they have to fudge it. So they make references throughout this arc to the Untouchables and to Breaking Bad and to all all these different songs and music. But anytime there's like any kind of business, it's like, eh, let's just turn the N in In and Out to In Z Out Burger, which is so funny to me because they fly in, you see the exterior to LAX, and then they drive past In Z Out Burger. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, they like they have no problem being like showing you LAX and like kind of the iconic um outside of the airport which like for me it's funny every time like looking at um like at la having how they were depicting it i was like oh i remember that from gta 5 i played so much gta 5 that i'm like oh i'm pretty much an expert in this and i've also been to la and jack you were like you've you've been uh, you lived in la for a little bit didn't you i did live in la a little bit i was uh, like I- yeah it was right before i met you basically when when the la dream died yeah did you like how did you feel about the like how they were portraying LA. Yeah, I mean, I mean to be fair, my my LA life was basically just one square block of Hollywood uh where I lived with like uh my theater school roommates and everyone kind of kind of lived in the same block effectively. So so to be honest, I actually my LA experience is like so limited even though I lived there for like 2 years. So you mean oh. to tell me you didn't go to drug dealers mansions on your weekend? No, not at all. Andy Melonicus once showed up at a party but I was under the influence, so I didn't notice him at the time. Um, but Wait, yeah, we, we meet uh, Eddie, and we also meet this character named Abigail. Um, she She's a wannabe actress. Um, what do you think of Abigail, at least at first, Malcolm? I, I didn't, uh, yeah, it was just like, oh, they're just going to show off, like, you know, one of the just, like, the girls. Because, like, like, there's that creepy element with oh, like, for Hollywood. Sure. Uh, that, like, it's like these older producers who are, like, obese They'll wear like, you know, they wear button up shirts and shorts and the button up shirts are like they have two buttons done up at the bottom and like it's all like old chest hair that's graying, you know, and then it's like all these like hot young, quote unquote, uh, like actresses who are like, you know, at these parties hoping to like become famous. And yeah, she's like the one that like is summoned over that because she's the new girl there and she like can barely speak uh, English and, you know, speaking in an accent and like. The guy, the uh, producer, is just like, yeah, she's not much of an actress, and like, you know, she can't really sing, and you know, she's not even that good looking. So like, maybe she'll be like a dancer. It's like, oh, that's so like mean. But at the same time, those are like those kinds of people uh, do do that. They do tell people that like, this is what I see in you, and it's like usually the worst version of what someone could be. Yeah, and uh, and Laurent, he, he's got this very awesome drug. It's this. <laughs> Heart candy drug called Sakura Magic, and uh, he gives it to Abigail and uh, makes her makes her makes her uh, jump a lot. Uh, she's doing like backflips. Uh, Abigail is very athletic, and uh, you think, oh, okay, all right, she she's that type of character. Not so much later on, um, because then Edamame ends up having to uh, to ingest it. Yeah, and he was really pissed off. Uh, yeah, with that, like he was like every uh, super upset, like way more upset than I even expected, like. He goes crazy, but in like a totally different way. Like he's like, he like makes a run for it. And then 
Like he like grab. What I love is like when he's making a run for it, uh, he like gets to the gate and like before he gets to the gate, he like grabs a handful of dirt because like one of the bodyguards chases after him and then they yeah. like get into a fight and then he uses the dirt to blind the bodyguard and I was like, holy crap! Like you don't really see that often. It's like he's already like a step ahead in the fight. And he's like, hey, I at some point I'm gonna have to throw the dirt out, so I might as well grab it on the way to go because I'm not gonna be able to hop this fence in time. And, I, and that's when like those were moments where I was like, oh, this show uh, is already one step ahead of me, and we're like ten minutes, we're like less than ten minutes in. We yeah, we've got five episodes to cover. And what about you, Sasha? I th- I thought that this whole episode was so intriguing just because like from the outset you think that Makoto has some handle on being a con man and you know, being a swindler. And he keeps saying in the first episode, I'm Japan's greatest swindler. I'm the shit. And the guy Kudo, who um, was his accomplice, was like pumping him up, being like, oh yeah, and your English is so great. And like, you can do anything. And what this episode does is it just cuts him down to size where he starts off so cocky and then he's selling drugs to a kingpin in LA. I am so far out of my depth. I think that that's the great thing about this show is because the title, The Great Pretender, you think that it's going to be Edamura throughout the, the show, but you keep having to question, is he the great pretender? And also, what does it mean to be the great pretender? I mean, there's that element for me when I was watching it. First of all, when I heard great pretender, all I could think of was that Foo Fighters song, The Pretender. The Pretender, uh, yeah. I instantly thought of Queen. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I guess so, too. I guess um, I'm just such That's a big game. Play- we get a Freddie Mercury song at the very end of this for the ending, too, which I was like, oh, wow, they could afford that. Dave Grohl's my Freddie Mercury. How dare it's, you? It's <laughs> no, no, Freddie Mercury is uh, great. Freddie uh, Mercury is Bohemian my Rhapsody. Mercury. And Bohemian Rhapsody deserved the best editing Oscar. Fuck you've seen you. that dinner scene, and <laughs> we're, we're already jumping cut, so much. Cut, cut, cut. <laughs> Would you like to see this team do a Queen biopic or a Freddie Mercury biopic? Because I really would like that. Oh, the like man. creative team behind that. The creative team of the Great Pretender. Wouldn't that Absolutely. be like so much more awesome? That what I would like is like yeah for them to do that. I'd be curious. Do you bring in because early on Sasha Baron Cohen was supposed to be playing Freddie Mercury and then he like dropped out. I don't know if he's too old now. I feel like I kind of want to see him in the role still. I'm perfectly fine with them just using the the regular anime voice actors. Uh, the, oh, the, you, the same folks they're using. No, I mean like an anime uh, Freddie uh, Mercury biopic from this team. Like, no, go go, and also keep the cost down. I, you know, so, so they can actually do it. Uh, but that's what I was thinking when watching this. I'm like, yeah, because you know, you're hearing that song, The Great Pretender, at the end of every episode. But moving back, I just want to go on because, of course, Abigail, it turns out uh, she was not high. Uh, she was just naturally athletic. She, she's she been calling them the whole time. And uh, a- Abigail is uh, Abigail is a tough-ass girl. Um, I'm, I'm sure many, many viewers uh, wouldn't mind being stepped on her, stepped, by, stepped on by her, <laughs> which oh is what God. she does to – hey, I, I had to say it, man. Uh, Abigail is fucking awesome, isn't she? she uh, well, I mean, she's great, like, in terms of, like – First of all, it's funny that like she gets criticized as being like this ditzy girl by the producer, and then um, no, she's like the most as she's and as she's like not a good actor and like she can't act, she can't act. I love that like that's totally untrue because like to be a great con artist, you have to be a great actor, and she is, which is you know it's great. She has a different voice, like her you know her demeanor is different. Like it's it's also very like in the genre too to like have this like tough girl who's got like this tough exterior, 
who like won't give uh, an inch to the protagonist. So I'm like, oh, this is like true to genre basics. And, I, you know, I appreciated that. Oh, I just looked up the voice actress, uh, the voice actress for the Dama, Kasar Mohammed. Um, she's actually relatively new to voiceover. This is, yeah, her uh, she her other anime role was in a show called Cannon Busters. But yeah, damn, she, she's only had like three major uh, VO credits. I just found her character to be awesome. Yeah, she she beats up Edamame. And yeah, she's she's the muscle in this series by far. Well, what's so funny is she beats him up and is like, you fucking virgin. <laughs> like, you get away from fucking virgin. There's so many anime where, where virgin is always like a, basically a slur almost. I've watched yeah, and he's anime. like, I'm not a virgin. And then like storms out into like the streets of LA. <laughs> like, I, like that, I don't know why. I Maybe mean, we were skipping ahead, but I was like, that made me laugh so hard. Which is like, I guess it plays into the fears of uh, what I assume are a lot of anime watchers, which is like, where they're like, oh, I've had sex. I've, I've totally boned. I'm totally banged. It's like, okay. And now maybe I'm alienating part of this audience and, and fighting the audience. Uh, you fucking virgins. Uh, but... Moving on to, to episode two, um, which is where uh, Edamame recalls the events that led him to become a con man. And again, like this is stuff where I'm watch again. I had just watched Final Arc and I'm seeing stuff i'm connecting reconnecting the dots yeah uh, see i haven't finished watching it sasha did you finish watching crazy. it? i just love this i mean sasha with uh I, do, you have, do you have any without spoiling it obviously but they do a really good yeah. job at like man. i think that's the great thing is that this the show is relatively short it's only 25 episodes i believe and only 23 actually. i don't think oh only 23 well there you go uh and because of that they have a a full arc for the entire season and for every character so carefully planned out that for the second episode, there was some allusion to his dad having left the family in disgrace. And so he wanted to be a virtuous person for his mom, who seems to be terminally ill. So he joins this company that's run by Kudo and seems like everything is going well until the cops arrest him for the company's fraudulent activities and he goes to prison. So there's like this great shame that's hanging over Edamura until his mom dies. Well, even like in the first episode, he gets really upset when he realizes that this con involves drugs and like he was doing drugs and like this is like not what he's about. And yeah, like uh, him with the tea company, like there's this thing of like, oh, I want to do like a legitimate job. And he, he really does believe he's selling, you know, product that is, you know, good. And it's actually supposed to help people, even though there are scam elements already at play where, you know, this tea is supposed to like, you know, oh, it's going to prevent cancer. And like, it's, uh, you know, it's going to heal all these ailments and like everything kind of sounds like, oh, this is like approved by like this random board that doesn't sound fully real. But like, if you're not educated on it, you're not going to like really question it. And then like, he goes like, well, I'll give 5,000. Oh no, 4,000. Oh, I guess 3,000. And obviously it's, you know, uh, Kudo, who's, you know, handing the money over, you know, to get people to buy off the street. I think the only thing that didn't fully make sense to me is why Edamame would would go to jail for three years if he was just an employee at this company. Uh, and he didn't really know what was going on. Like, it seems like... Japan for him. That's Japan. But I guess that's like Japanese laws, and I don't, I don't know the intricacies of the Japanese criminal system. Yeah. It can be yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty Yeah, he was given like a raw deal in that he was like, I didn't know that there was fraud going on. They're like, that's bullshit. Um, you're going to prison. So kids, be careful when you're being involved in fraudulent activities in Japan because 
If you don't know about it, probably going to jail. Don't do drugs in Japan. Their drug laws are ridiculously strict. Also, they, uh, they don't like tattoos. And they're very like, you can't go in to a lot of places if you have tattoos. There's a Visible video, ones. There's a video game series called uh, Yakuza, which, which is fucking awesome. Uh, I've played almost all the games in the series. But there was an act- actor who was um, who got like busted on drug charges, and even though the game he was in had come out like four years ago, they had a remaster coming out, and they had to recast him and his uh, likeness for that role for the remaster because of uh, the drug issue. Oh, because the guy was in jail. I don't even know if it was in jail. I have to look up the case, uh, and I'm not going to. But it was like serious that they were like, we have to replace like the the model for this actor in this video game. And they had to delay the game too. That's yeah. That's a wow. That's big. And it's just a remaster too. It's like oh well, it's it's an old game. It's just a remaster. But no, this this remaster features a, a different character model for like a key playable character, which was kind of interesting. So yeah, no. So like he's. It shows that this guy is like yeah, is like the gentleman thief, right? Like he is that kind of guy where he's like he wants to you know, not necessarily that he wants to do good, but that he that he's got moral standards, which obviously get uh, played up as the uh, this arc continues that's right and it's just interesting because he gets roped into everything and then laurent is like so you say you're the the greatest swindler in japan what do you say and he seems like he wants to have nothing to do with it just because like he's drawn a line in the sand and saying no i'm not going to get involved in drugs because that's the last taboo that's associated with my family. So like I'm out. Yeah. Cause there's also all these references to like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree when it comes to Edamame and his dad, who we like at, up to this point don't know much about is that he just like is out of the picture. Uh, but w- obviously uh, Laurent uh, has a card up his sleeve because guess what? His candy drug is fake. It's not real. And that was kind of a relief. And that was like another one of those twists where I was like, really? What? This is not even real. Like, I was uh, I was kind of happy about that because it means like all of a sudden that Edamame can return to the to the con because he's not really selling drugs at this point. He's they're selling essentially a placebo, even though that kind of changes by the end. Yeah, he's still unsure and he leaves their apartment where Abby like beats him up and calls him a virgin. He has like a running bet going with Laurent where he's like, oh, well, if I can sell more than you, then you become my lackey but if you sell more than me then i guess i'll become your lackey so it's like they have like a back and forth of who's going to con him for more and it looks like laurent has won then edamame does his research on all of eddie's b movies which i just thought was such a brilliant scene where he pretends to know everything about eddie and he's such a huge fan of i can't remember the names of the uh the films that he worked on but it's like something to do with chopsticks oh yeah no i forgot what uh, yeah what it is but it's like this guy who like is yeah his whole skill is that he can use chopsticks to like kill everyone which is like yeah there's all these like you know these kind of action movies where there's like this person's ridiculously good at or like does these kills with these like inanimate objects like i remember i don't know if you guys remember this like a few years ago there's a movie called shoot em up with clive owen and it's a very famous scene where clive owen kills a guy by uh stuffing a carrot down like through his face It's a very famous scene. It's probably what inspired John Wick. Uh, but it was like, I guess it's like that kind of movie. But instead of uh, carrot, it disguised using chopsticks. That's right. Yeah. And so Edamame goes to Eddie in a kind of roundabout way where he pretends to escape and then he gets dragged back to his uh, mansion. He kind of calls into question Eddie's character and he's like, you don't know me. And he's, oh yeah, well, I bet your films are just garbage. And then he watches his films. He's like, 
oh, I've seen this. Your films are amazing. Like, oh, you, your, your characters have so much depth. And he's like, oh, well, I'm so, so pleased. And so he manages to convince him to sell the drugs for twice the price. So then Edamame's back in the fold. And when Laurent comes by, he's, hey, I just sold it for twice the price that you were. So I guess you're my lackey now. And that's when I, I love how throughout this season, he just keeps finding himself way out of his depth because as soon as he does that, it's, it's almost like he's committed himself to making drugs for Eddie, which is the real conflict of the second part of this arc. Yeah, because all of a sudden now he's like actually has to like produce some sort of product. And I, I don't know why. I was just like, oh, that's, that's fun. Like to get deeper into it. It's like, oh yeah, 10 million. It's like, because I think um, Laurent's pun was like, we'll get 5 mil and then just split. But instead now it's 10 mil. And all of a sudden now it's uh, there's going to be a factory built and like there's, you know, there's going to be a whole operation and like they're going to check to make sure like, you know, Edamame is the doctor that he's being portrayed as to Eddie, uh, the producer. Um, and, you know, obviously that adds more complications because uh, Edamame does not produce drugs. He's not a drug you know, scientist. He's not Walter White, which I appreciated that they were referencing Walter White in this. Like, at one point, there's someone who goes, it's like, just act like Walter White. I love it. The The pop culture references are on point. Uh, and and you, you guys didn't bring up, I loved how uh, the, the the lead actor in uh, one of Eddie's movies is like this Steven Seagal type figure. Yeah, that's like, I like that too. Like, because I, I noticed that this, this guy is like making film, like those kind of like straight to DVD, like essentially what... Um, I guess they're not, I don't even I guess they're not even straight to DVD anymore. They're like straight to VOD. You know these like shitty shitty action. It's like what Bruce Willis is doing. Yeah. Like, these, like things where you're like lifeless. You're like this. You know he clearly doesn't want to be there, but he's like gonna cash in this million dollar check to like go around and be on this set for three weeks. And you you know one of the producers or one of the directors is like fanboying over the fact that like oh my god Bruce Willis is here. I love the sixth set. Where it's like, oh, I was an OG fan. I watched Moonlighting. It's like, you know, but it's like this guy who is uh, who's doing it, but he's making a ton of money. Yeah, it's like if Bruce Willis was in Uwe Boll films. It's that caliber of content that he's creating, but he still you still get the sense that he believes he's making good art. And yeah, going back to your point of just making references to pop culture and really selling, I thought that this this season especially was very good in the use of music because in every arc there. They tie a little bit of music to the place as well as like their usual soundtrack. So this one had a funny like rap song that kept recurring, I think like once an episode. And it had a really funny line in it where it was like, everybody in the street. Yeah, we all come up. Everybody out here looking for a come up. And I am a sucker for when someone rhymes something with itself in a song. I didn't um, notice that. And I, I was just like, wait a minute, did they actually just, I mean, it's not the level of there's a band called Japanese Breakfast and in it, the singer rhymes the phrase breakfast in bed with breakfast in bed. Um, it wasn't that bad, but I still was like, oh yeah, self rhyme. Kind of lazy, but I love it. Yeah, there was like this weird element to like the music where I was just like, is this like people trying to like do kind of like, a mediocre like rap like or did they just find these songs like on spotify like this whoever was in charge of the music was just like here's something that's like it works tonally and it's like such a perfect fit it's sort of like this lame duck la version where it's like 
it's not high tier. It's like not even really mid tier. It's sort of this like low to mid tier song. Um, and I wasn't sure though if like if they just found something or if they like actually wrote it for the show because it fits so well. It was such a nice like these like when it started showing up with the rap, I was like, okay, yeah, this is sort of the LA that most people end up experiencing. Definitely. Uh, after they make this deal, was it uh, Casanova or yeah, Eddie Casanova, who is the the producer slash drug dealer? Uh, essentially tells Edamame, like, well, now you got to, like, we're going to have a bodyguard. So the bodyguard that he threw, uh, Edamame threw um, the dirt at in the first episode is now assigned to uh, watch him. So he's taken to the bodyguard's house, which I kind of thought was, a, like, a weird choice just because you kind of go, like, well, if this guy's in charge of your, like, now, like, your exclusive drug, like, empire, you might want him, like, on your property instead of being, like, yeah, just stay at the bodyguard's house. But regardless, like, he ends up uh, at the bodyguard's house, and uh, he stays in the, the room of the bodyguard where it turns out it's the bodyguard's son who lives, who's, like, a, who lives, uh, who's obviously in this room. Then you, like, start seeing these things where, like, uh, who's the girl, what's the girl's name again? Abby. Yeah, Abby, she's breaking in to, like, give him, like, tips about what he needs to do in terms of cooking uh, is the product. And what's the product's name again? It's, like... Sakura Magic. Which I kind of like. I don't know why. I like that as a name. Like, I like these, like, the stupid drug names. I'm trying to think of, like... Oh, yeah, like, uh, in Riverdale, I heard that uh, the drug on that show was called Jingle Jangle. And I was like, that's hilarious. So good. Or BoJack and BoJack Horseman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's the drugs named after him. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is like another one. Like, if you're going to like have a fake drug, it's like, let's, you know, have fun with the name. And it's also at this time, I think we missed it in the previous episode, but it turns out that Eddie has been paying off the uh, LAPD, who are supposed to be investigating him, to just monitor him without actually like prosecuting him. But then this woman enters named Paula Dickens, who's an FBI agent, and she takes over the investigation. And suddenly it becomes a little bit more serious where the main characters aren't privy to this, but they are actually being pursued by someone who's a little, has a little bit more authority and is actually hot on their heels. Oh yeah. Cause there's like a car chase that happens too, uh, where like the LAPD guy who's on the payroll of the producer is like, has to like fake a car crash. And there's like a fun line where the guy's like, he's uh, the cop is just like, yeah, you ruined my suit. And the guy goes, fine, I'll pay for a new suit. I don't know what you wear. Armani or Gucci, and you're like, this guy's probably barely wa like walking around and like maybe has one Brooks Brothers suit, but he's probably walking around with like, you know, department store suits on. So it's just like, that's kind of how disconnected this producer is from reality. Uh, I don't know why that mo moment made me laugh. But yeah, now then we get to the third episode. So yeah, this is the thing. We've only really talked about two episodes so far. We've been jumping ahead though. In all honesty, I don't even know where we're at. <laughs> Actually, I think um, we're on the fourth episode because the we're, kind, we're kind of jumping around. Yeah. So fourth episode starts with Edamame's father in court. Yeah, you're right. We are on the fourth episode. Edamame's father this is just like cutting back to his childhood and he's having a flashback dream where his dad is a public defender and he's trying to get a, a plea deal for his, um, for his client. And everything seems to be pointing towards his dad being this incredibly virtuous person all about finding justice for people who are underrepresented and that's all edamame wants to aspire to at that point 
And so it's from that dream when he's just like a young kid that it cuts and he's immediately back in LA in this bodyguard's house. Yeah, Salazar's house. That's a, also that's his name, is Salazar. So Salazar. It, you know, he turns out it's like a former gang leader. They keep saying he's like a, this gang leader who's now on the payroll for Cassano. And uh, for for whatever reason, it happens to be uh, Salazar's day with his son. So uh, he decides he's going to take his son and Edamame to uh, what I assume is Six Flags. Like he's like at either Six Flags or Knott's Berry Farm. He's clearly not at a Disney World stand-in or Disneyland stand-in, which I was kind of disappointed in. I was like, oh man, it would have been fun if they were like at like this world's version of Disneyland. Right, mm-hmm. like I want to see like what how they were gonna get around like Mickey Mouse. Like who would be the Mickey Mouse? Would it be like Ronnie the Rat? <laughs> <laughs> well, they al- already were skirting that line earlier in the episode because they go to a Dodgers game and they had to like obscure the Dodgers logo because they were probably gonna get sued to all hell if they had actually used it. So I bet they they were like, we can't just go messing around with like Disneyland and all the copyrighted materials in there. So they just went to nondescript amusement park. Yeah, which is really what Six Flags is. I don't know about you guys, but I always, you know, the fact that Six Flags mascot is a bald dancing man in his 90s kind of tells you all you need to know about how much they have in lore. I mean, he was an old bald dancing man in his 90s in the 90s so either he's still around in his 2020s by this point or rest in peace mr six yes he's basically every character that dana carvey played in the master of disguise he is the turtle man (laughs) yeah so there's not like really a a reason why they go they're just like oh we're gonna go well my they also like are outside of uh what is it, Grauman's Chinese Theater, to like, I don't know, just to do tourist stuff. Yeah, my understanding is that while everything is being constructed in the the drug lab that they had bluffed their way into uh, having made, that he had nothing to do, and so the bodyguard was just told to, like, take him around L.A. and show him a good time. Um, oh, yeah, I guess there is, like, because they say that they, it's going to take, like, a week or two to build. So, yeah, I guess there is this thing of, like, you should do that. Yeah. I remember uh, when I went to L.A., I went with uh, Telly with my brother a few years ago, and we went to the uh, Grauman's Chinese Theater. And my my brother asked, uh, he's like, uh, some guy, he's like, "Hey, uh, where's your washroom?" And then they let him into a kitchen. So like, he was <laughs> he was like, "No, I just uh, you just got to go to the bathroom." Uh, so for uh, anyone who doesn't know, washrooms are bathrooms. And my brother was surprised because he was like, this is a tourist hotspot. This can't be the first time you heard someone say washroom. <laughs> so, I mean, I could get, spend hours talking about the effrontery that Americans treat Canadians with whenever we use the word washroom. But uh, that's for another podcast. Yeah, that's the spinoff podcast. I wash never, talk. I never, <laughs> this is wash pod uh, with Sasha and Malcolm. <laughs> I never had that uh, issue when I, when I was hanging out with my Americans. I don't know. I guess I've always used the word bathroom, to be fair. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very co- like I'm very cognizant now. But also the same that same trip, uh, my brother and I went into uh, the Scientology uh, Center that's on like Hollywood Boulevard, yeah, and we were like, we're open, like we want to get tested, and we sat there for 20 minutes. No one acknowledged us, and then we left. I, I was I, like, this was bullshit. Like we, we were ready. Um, I didn't do the testing. I went to their uh, their museum, Psy- Psychiatry, uh, History of Death or whatever. Oh, I, I've also was to that. That's intense and fucking crazy. It's, it's and they, crazy. 
because my buddy and I, we wanted to leave it early. We want, but then like right as we're about to leave, like the the manager or whatever, like the attendant, who kind of looks like Giancarlo Esposito, he's, he's just this very mild mild manner uh, African American man, and he just he just as we're about to leave, he enters from the he enters from the exit door, and he's like, oh, by the way, you guys should check this other exhibit within here. It's really good. And I'm like, oh God, they're watching us. Oh yeah, my brother and I, I know, st- uh, stayed in there for like an extra half hour because we had to really show that we were just like really taking it in. Uh, they connect uh, psychiatry to uh, George Washington's death. Uh, they say psychiatry is the reason why Hitler came to power, and that psychiatry is the reason why we have school shootings. So uh, it's a bullshit propaganda museum. And it's worth going because it's not, it's free uh, and it's uh, propaganda. And then it's, it's sponsored by the Citizens Coalition for Human Rights, which is a made up nonsense organization. That's just like another name for uh, Scientology. And you can see that like it's nonsense because it's like famous Scientologist themes are on it. It's like Tom Cruise, Catherine Bell, Giovanni uh, Ribisi, Danny Masterson. Uh, <laughs> God, that fucking guy. So um so yeah I, i've got some stories but yeah no so like they, they yeah, don't luckily they don't go to psychiatry and into death they in this, i, I feel like great part. pretender 2 great pretender 2 has to has to involve them taking down scientology oh uh, that would be I was, great i was really glad the boys season two uh did that takedown that was that was a fun takedown it's, this, rid- it's a ridiculous nonsense religion and i'm using uh we have have we even mentioned salazar's name because i kept wanting to jump in and talk about how salazar is uh awesome he's the bodyguard and uh i love him we have mentioned his name he is <laughs> so dope edamame has like a weird connection to salazar because throughout this episode he keeps alluding to the fact that he's letting his son down because he's setting a really poor example for him mm-hmm. as a father because he only has partial custody over his son because his wife died and he's a criminal so he only gets to see him on Sundays, which is like what led uh, Edamame to suggesting that they all go out together because he was like, this is the one day I get to spend with my son and I'm spending it with you. And he's like, well, fuck, let's go to a mu- an amusement park. Later in the episode, everyone goes home and Edamame discovers that Salazar has bugged his room and he admits to the fact that he knows that Abby's been visiting him at night and teaching him how to make drugs. And he's like, look, I'm only hired to protect my boss. I'm not hired to protect him from fraud. And that's when Edamame reams him out and is like, you owe it to your son to get out of this. How how could you like set such a poor example? And he's like, this is all I've got. So um, I don't know what to tell you, man. Then we actually find out what happened to uh, Edamame's father when he was a young, young mm-hmm. boy. This was the most bonkers twist. Like I was like, I was flabbergasted by the, this reveal. Like I did not expect this reveal. This like kind of came out of left field. Just how dark it is. Like like we haven't said it yet, but it's like this is one of the darkest reveals I think we've ever I've ever seen on this podcast. And it's it's like jaw dropping. Like it's it's like on a level, uh, like when in Breaking Bad. Uh, Walter White lets uh, Jesse's girlfriend die from an overdose. Like I was like kind of that shot. But this was one of those things where I was like, I didn't expect them to go there. It was crazy because Edamura, uh, Edamame comes back 
home. He's like a student at this point. Hi, everyone. At this point in the recording, we started to have audio issues, so we missed the next two minutes. The big reveal is that Edimura's father was arrested for child trafficking. <laughs> okay, back to the episode. Like, and it's like, that's like, that's low life stuff. It's to not only be a human trafficker, but be a child trafficker. And like, he was the lawyer that was involved, like Edimura's dad. So all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, this guy like knew what he was doing, was doing the absolute worst, like showed like they show him on TV being arrested, absolutely no remorse, no emotion. And like before this, like everything we saw of his dad was like this loving, caring father. You know, when uh, Edamame was a child, it's like they're like him and his mother and his dad are all walking together and the dad has him on the shoulders. And like he's, you know, this like, you know, it comes off as this good family man and you kind of assumed or at least i assumed i think rightfully so that like oh he died early too um and maybe he died in some way that like someone else died and that's why they're like oh the apple doesn't fall far from the tree but to like be a trafficker and then have cops be like the apple doesn't fall farther from the tree it's like holy shit like hey what like edama uh, edamame was committing light fraud like he's a shyster but like this is like next level <laughs> so um this was yeah it was a shocking twist and that's when i was like okay this show has some balls it, yeah balls it has because in the following episode um let's let's just talk about a bit of the lead up so yeah like edamame he he's he's been in cahoots also with the fbi because they have him by the balls and he has to wear a bug uh this woman, Paula, who who may end up being important to the show. Yeah, so at, when they're at the, the amusement park, Edamame goes to the washroom and <laughs> the washroom. And uh, when he's there, he gets apprehended by the police and by Paula Dickens, the uh, uh, FBI agent who says, look, we've got so much information on uh, all of you. If you cooperate with us, we will get you sent back to Japan on a plea deal and but you have to help us nab both Eddie and Laurent because they've been chasing them forever and she gives him a set of glasses that are well, I thought it was uh, Salazar yeah. no I guess Laurent was also on the list because yeah he's got to have some infamy he's like well, oh no it was because yeah. later on uh, he tries to cop a deal to uh, get Salazar off so he can be with his son so I think that she, she was trying to nail Laurent and all of Eddie's people, Eddie included, and he's like very on the fence. And she's like, look, we know this guy's taking advantage of you. That's Laurent. And think about your future. This could brand you horribly if you go down this path and follow this guy, because it's just going to lead you to ruin. So that's how the fourth episode ends with this inner conflict. And then he calls up Paula and says, I agree to do this, but you got to let Salazar off so that he can look after his son. And that's about the point when the fifth episode starts, which is the last one in this arc. Yeah, and it, it yeah, picks up immediately. And absolutely not. Like, you're not in any position to negotiate with me. This is the terms of the deal. You have to, like, either save yourself or, you know, or, every, or you're all going down. So he ends up, unfortunately, uh, in, that in that moment, choosing himself. But you like this show. This show's full of tricks. They're finally making the quote-unquote drugs for Eddie. Yeah. Where, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, because there's these funny moments uh, Well, that we kind of skipped over where it's like, as they're building this factory that's like, 
the way the factory is introduced is that uh, Casano or uh, goes and he's like, "You guys like cider?" And then uh, they're like at this factory, and you think it's going to be some like underground LA, you know, cidery or whatever. And uh, instead, it's like, "Oh, this used to be a cider factory, and now it's going to be the drug lab." And it forces Edamame to be, you know, be show off that he knows what he's doing. So there's like construction of this lab before uh, where Edamame doesn't know what's really going on. So it's like him being like, yeah, the water should be over here. And like, you know, none of the scales are up to standard. So I need you to get new scales. It's like all that ridiculous stuff. But that's just like to, you know, the flashback to now where it's supposed to be an operational drug lab. And it's been uh, stormed by the FBI who like, I want to say how they storm in is like, oh, like, hey, uh, you know, we just had some extra construction we needed to do. And it's like, freeze, FBI. <laughs> I don't know why I like that. It was funny because like they send the people in on the ground uh, as the distraction. And then Abby immediately notices that they're sending in SWAT people from up above. So they crash through the windows. And then it becomes very clear that uh, Edamame has betrayed them because Eddie, who up until this point was really buddy-buddy with, with Edamame, was like, you son of a bitch, you betrayed me. And Laurent can't believe it. And yeah, that's that leads us to Abby in a moment of panic, grabs a gun and aims it at one of the officers. And yeah, they open fire while it, Laurent yeah. is trying to save her. And yeah, yeah the FBI him. agents came in there like, and they started blasting her. So with the, oh, they they get owned. They they are turned into fucking Swiss cheese. It's pretty unambiguous. It's it's a graphic uh, scene. But I'm gonna be honest here. I kind of saw what happens next coming with them mm-hmm. and because i was like that was the thing that was the twist that i was talking about earlier that i felt like yeah i kind of like from genre expectations i was like yeah i think i think what's gonna happen uh, and then ended up happening but i'll save that for a little bit later but yeah so then um uh edamame takes uh paula hostage in like a moment of really panic uh and then he uses that as the opportunity to let uh salazar run but at the same time as that's all happening, Eddie, the producer, has like found a way uh, out of the standoff and is like turning on like random machines to like wreak an explosion. Which I was kind of found funny. I was like, where did he go up to? Like, I guess like all the chaos of the shooting let him escape. But he's supposed to be like a fat uh, fuck. Like a, he's supposed to be a fat fuck Harvey Weinstein type. That's right. So he blows up the facility. Uh, somehow, somehow eludes everyone. And but don't but don't worry, no one dies from the explosion as far as we can tell. Yeah. Even though a helicopter which is in the air is forcibly like shifts uh in the in the everyone, wake of this explosion. Everyone on the ground is miraculously fine. Um all the debris falls around them somehow. But yeah, uh Edamame is dazed and he chases after Eddie and starts he like grabs him and eddie starts kicking the shit out of him and then edamame is rescued by salazar of all people he punches out eddie and they're both sort of incapacitated at that point when we're brought into the fbi interrogation which i love this scene so good oh yeah that's great they're like that like one of those fbi vans and like (laughs) edamame is kind of tied up on a chair but he's got like a bandage on his forehead and it's sort of like half in and he's like half in and out in terms of consciousness but uh, eddie's you know fully awake now and he and paula have a discussion because eddie's solution is well i'll just pay her off i don't won't have to face anything if i just you know give her enough money and paula initially is like you know i don't do it for the money i'm here for justice 
And uh, quickly, though, she goes, well, I'll take 100 mil. And he goes, well, I don't have that kind of money. And then it's like, yeah, but we know about your bank accounts. And they're like, this is going to bankrupt me. And they're like, yeah, I don't care. So do you want your freedom or do you want to go to prison? So he reluctantly pays Paul uh, off, uh, where he, so he thinks. And this shocks Edamame because Edamame, you know, thought that she was all about, like, law and order and the truth. And, yeah, this sets up one of the next big twists, which is that uh, Paula is uh, is also in on the con. Yep. And, and was it Angela and uh, Laurent? Uh, they're both alive. <laughs> uh, yeah. Abigail. Abigail. Abby. Or yeah. Abigail. Sorry, Abigail. Yes. Yeah, so Edamame is knocked unconscious and wakes up on a tropical paradise island. I, I want to know the logistics of that. How 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 did they transport him and how, how did he manage to stay unconscious for that long? I mean, without revealing too much, I feel like there is a, an element later in the series that explains how they can transport people fair. and then wake up without knowing how they got there. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, so he wakes up in what looks like Hawaii and everyone's alive and quote-unquote Paula Dickens is there, but her real name, as it turns out, is Cynthia. Edamame sees that all of the quote-unquote FBI agents that storm the place are actually all just actors, and they brought movie props to shoot up the place. And it, it is revealed that, yeah, that was kind of the plan the whole time. And so they were chalking up the tally because they had made that initial bet, Laurent and Edamame, and he was like, all right, well, you got 10 million out of Eddie, but we got 100 million, so I guess you're my lackey now which I thought was such a funny way to end the season where you really think at certain points that Edamame knows what's going on, but you just see on his face the whole time while this is being revealed that he had no fucking clue. Like, like I keep saying it, but he's just always finding himself out of his depth. So anytime that he gains any kind of confidence, the rug gets pulled out from under him and it's actually, oh no, you were just like going along with our plan. Everything was planned out meticulously and you were just kind of fumbling along with us. <laughs> Yeah, it's that thing of like when that like drum music comes up again and it's like, oh wait, there's like more layers to this. And I love that because like I think there's like such a cockiness to Edamame at the beginning of the show being like, I'm the greatest, you know, swindler in all of Japan. And like and you realize like, you know, that he's like small potatoes in this like greater game. But he gets the opportunity to play in this greater game. And yeah, like he gets to uh he gets his cut. We also see that there's like the his two aides in Japan, um, Kudo and I forget the the woman's name. Kim Si Wan. Uh, yeah, Kim Si Wan. They they're also on the island because they were in on it too because they were actually helping out because there's times before this where they needed like you know where Eddie would be like oh I gotta check in on your credentials at you know the chemical institute and then they would uh, show up and be like yeah 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 Eddie he's like he's the the best that we have or like you know uh, Kim Si was also the reason like the drug even exists. And that, that she was running some sort of water filter scam that I didn't really quite understand. But there's like some early scenes with a water filter. Um, That's right, yeah. That one's a, like not as drawn out. <clears throat> but that she was apparently, Kim C was like, yeah, at one point, Japan's finest con woman. Yeah. She's now like aged. She's an older woman now. Um, I just love her introduction where like, yeah, there's this opening scene to the whole series actually where they're trying to mm -hmm. test edamame's con abilities and so they send kudo in to try and con kim si wan and she sees right through him and then uh, edamame goes in he's like way more successful and she just seemed this frail old woman that doesn't know what's going on but really she was like scouting them 
which is what led Laurent to recruit uh, Edamame for the con. And when they're introducing her to uh, Edamame and describing like her background, they're like, yeah, she specialized in using her sexuality to get anything she wanted. And she's just like this kind of frumpy old woman. And she's like, yeah, I was about to use my sexual prowess on him, but uh, he proved himself. And it's just like, oh, okay, well, that's pretty rad. Yeah, and it also just shows that everything was connected. Like, that's like the great thing is like, for this as a standalone arc, like, I, obviously there's some more episodes that I haven't seen, but I think I'm probably going to, because this was a really fun watch but yeah that all of this is like this again in that genre of heist is always like connected um and i like that like even like her as like this old woman she you know you think of her as a mark to begin with but really she was the one marking them that's right in particular and uh yeah but then we find out on the island that casano the producer he's been arrested salazar the bodyguard you know he's let go and he's free he actually has all the evidence. They give him all the evidence to turn in Eddie and give him his freedom back. I thought he was going to get some money. I don't think he gets any money, which I was kind of like, that's kind of bullshit. Like he pulled him into this con at the end. Like he deserves something. But, uh, and then they, yeah, they all like are on this island and they have to decide like, okay, what are they going to do next? And uh, yeah, Adamame uh, says something. Man. That, his decision, man. I'm just like, oh my God, what a way to end it. Yeah, the decision. Do you want to talk about it? I do because man, it ends with him turning himself in. Like he's just like he's just happy. He's just like, yeah, I know exactly what I'm gonna do, and yeah, he turns himself in. And you're like, what the hell? Where is this series gonna go? Yeah, well, it's so funny. He's like, I'll see you in like two to three years. Oh yeah, exactly. He just that's, drops that's a huge funny. stack of cash on a police uh, policeman's desk, and is just like. Yeah, I stole all this, so uh, take me to prison. He's... Which I thought was so weird. It was such a weird, like, I know morally, like, a sense, but, like, and it, I think it was just like, you don't expect, like, them to, like, go, him to go back to prison. It's that you think he's, like, oh, if he's going to go give back to his, like, the people he defrauded, that he would, like, go to their houses and leave, like, stacks of cash and watch as the people, like, obtain it. But nope. Uh, he just, like, gives the American currency to the police and then goes, I'm going to jail, boys. <laughs> It's great, man. Uh, yeah, that that concludes the first arc. I, man, I was so silent here, but you know, sometimes we have episodes where uh, where Malcolm has to listen to me uh, yammer with the guest, and, and in this case, Sasha, I'm just like, damn, you have a much better understanding of this show uh, than I do. But it's it's been great listening to that. But of course, uh, we got to get to our favorite segment. So every week, uh, we ask uh, the guests and then ourselves. Uh, who the uh, Robert E.O. Speedwagon is. Speedwagon! 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 Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. So, Sasha... Uh, who would you bestow your our uh, Robert E.O. Speedwagon uh, award to for the great pretender? Uh, joke answer: um, the person that over Skype who teaches edamame to make drugs. Yeah, has very little consequence in the scheme of things. Man, this is a tough one because in this arc, there's certain characters that are introduced who later I would bestow the Speedwagon uh, award onto, but in they haven't got to that point for me yet in the series. So I guess at this point, I would say it's Abby, because from the moment that she was introduced, I was so intrigued. 
I was so interested in who she is and how she got there. And there is like this backstory that's alluded to in her that I, I just wanted to know more about her. And I think Malcolm, if you continue watching the show, what I love about each individual arc is each one focuses on a different member of their con artist organization, which I think has been dubbed Team Confidence. So if you were to break it up, the first one would be Edamame. And when it gets to Abby's one, the amount of depth that they treated Makoto's backstory, they do for her, for Abby also. And it just made me appreciate her so much more. But from the onset, I was like, I'm in for this character. I really want to I, I really appreciate her presence. Yeah, uh, who, who you know what? Just just for the sake of the listener, uh, who who should they uh, keep their eye out? Who are who are characters who down the road? Ooh. Without spoiling it, but you know that's that's the thing I like about the show. And when I was you know giving it this rewatch, like characters who I didn't initially think of uh, end up like e- everything pays off in the show. These twenty three episodes, like it, yeah, I want to rewatch the show again. To to see all the uh, the things they hint at and yeah just pick up on all the threads it's very well done. That's right. I mean, if I were to break it up easily, I would say Laurent, Abby, uh, Edamame, and Cynthia. All of them get their due in the amount of time to develop their characters. That is so satisfying that by the end, like you feel a real connection to their journeys that makes the the finale at the end of the 23rd episode, so much more satisfying. And I don't know, I, I guess it's true in a lot of media where sometimes characters get the backseat to the plot just so that they can service some uh, series of events. And they don't do this. Oh, in that... yeah. oh good Lord. Um, <laughs> don't get me started. Uh, I know, I know. Naruto... Oh, I, 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 yeah. Well, maybe we'll have you on a Naruto episode Man, yeah. I've never seen Naruto. I barely know what it I, is. All I know I've, is there's the Naruto run, and uh, that's about it. I've, I've alienated a lot of our audience already throughout many episodes where I've where I, I've stated that um, reading Naruto and then reading One Piece was a very good order because one series, at least with Naruto, I had the benefit of enjoying it to a degree, and then I was like, oh, One Piece like does all this ten times better. If I see that clip when someone is like. Oh, you don't know Strife, and then Naruto's like, "I don't know Strife." Well, you, I don't know Strife, and then it cuts to the flashback of him sitting alone on a swing. I think I'll just like break whatever's nearest near me, just because it's like, oh god, I I can't get started. But it's just they spend so much time cutting back to the same clips to explain his character that is just so unnecessary. And also it goes on for like a thousand episodes, which um, clearly One Piece can sustain, but Naruto, it, it was. And it's I, just, but I bring it, I bring Naruto up as as a show that introduces plenty of cool characters throughout arcs, and then does uh, jack shit with them. Yeah, I mean, I have that same gripe with Dragon Ball Z in that, with the escalation of power, so many people fall by the wayside and become so uninteresting. Um, I stan Yamcha. He is so good and everyone shits on him. But uh, yeah, so I, 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 I loved uh, uh, Great Pretender just for how much care they put into their characters. So yeah, uh, Cynthia, Laurent, Abby, and Edamame are all brilliant. Just so good. Yeah, they, they all get their due. The, I mean, just as a bit of a tease, the, 
the second arc is an Abby arc. The third arc is a is a Th Cynthia arc, and yeah, the the fourth arc uh, goes into Laurent and uh, Edamame again, but in a like a very in depth way, and all these various threads pay off. Oh, nice. I'm assuming the dad comes back at some point. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but I don't want to say. I'm not, but, I, but I'm throwing an assumption as someone who legitimately has not watched anything more than this five-episode arc. Jack, who do you think was the uh, Robert E.O. Speedwagon of this episode? Uh, or this, uh, not this episode, this arc. I, I do love Abby. Uh, she's a, she is a great character. Uh, best girl, for sure. Um, but I'm actually going to give it to Salazar because Salazar is the definition of a speed wagon. He is, he is an honorable bodyguard. Uh, he makes the right calls at the end. He, he, he's trying to be a good dad. Uh, I was rooting for Salazar. I thought he was dope. All right. And then uh, for me, this is interesting. Cause yeah, I think like, as, I don't know. I, I was just, I'm kind of sucker for that. Like that junkie who was like teaching uh, Edamame <laughs> how to make the drug. Uh, just like, he, you know, in some random live stream with Laurent it's I'm kind of torn all right because I actually really like Tommy like the the little boy and just like the earnestness that he had and like I was surprised by like Edamame's depth with in terms of just like you know he clearly like doesn't have a, a kid or anything but like you know he was like being really nice and courteous and he looked like he was going to trade him the like samurai to a character like figure that he had with uh, the little boy and yeah Tommy just is like this like nice kid who it's like it was kind of uh, surprising to see a kid in this like I didn't expect to see a child <laughs> walking around an episode but also I was a sucker for Laurent uh, I'm I think uh, just like just the jokes that he had like I just loved the live streaming with the like the junkie to like make the drug to like you know him paying off being like yeah you know i'm you know you think uh 10 million was a lot like look at 100 million and just like he had a flair for wearing hawaiian shirts and there was a phase uh when i was uh when i could perform live where i was wearing hawaiian shirts on stage because it was fun um <laughs> and because i was challenged someone was like you should just try this for a month and i did so so yeah i gotta say um that's that's who I'm. Uh, who's my Robert E.O. Speedwagon is, and I've talked a lot this episode. So would you say, Malcolm, that you saw a lot of yourself in Laurent? Uh, no, not exactly, because I I can't speak uh, French and I can't do a French accent or any accent really to save my life. But um, I felt like he was a relatable guy for me at least right now. <laughs> I don't know what happens going forward, so this might be a regrettable. Pick. Tall white guy I mean, just, with blonde hair wears uh, Hawaiian shirts. That's that's you, man. Hey, I'll I'll take it right now, with the understanding <laughs> that I've only watched these five episodes. The, talking about the show right now makes me uh, really want to uh, binge all the Lupin stuff because yeah, I've only watched uh, Castle of Cagliostro. I do. We have any more thoughts? Is there any more that we uh, you guys want to talk about? Any final like lingering things? Oh no, I'll 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 give the shorter ones because like I've kind of said as much already um i think this show is just awesome it's great like just hearing you guys talk about it, i want to rewatch the show again i'm probably not going to anytime soon just because of my backlog of other things i need to cover but the, the show is great i love stuff like this i'm really excited to see what the creative team does next again the fact that um ryoto uh, kosawa i i hope he continues to do anime i mean he's his next stuff is on imdb is a live action but you know, I hope this isn't a one-off for him because uh, the script was great. All I'll add is uh, Malcolm, buy my TV. I've been trying to sell Malcolm my TV for a couple weeks, and he, he's quite hard to size. get. What's... 
What's the uh, size? It, in, uh, for, th max? Thank you for asking, Jack. It's a 50-inch 4K Samsung, uh, two HDMI inputs with HDMI arc. Uh, it would be so good for Malcolm because it would just blow up the image of any anime that he's watching going forward and enhance the experience. Malcolm, you don't have that big of a TV? I'm sorry. It's uh, like it's I, a 32-inch. Well, it's a 40-inch, but uh, I'm not in a market for a television. Uh, but I will give updates as to whether or not I buy a television or Sasha's television in future episodes if people want that. The people are demanding and, it, Malcolm. When, when, when this episode finally airs, uh, we'll, we'll add a note on our social media to see uh, to, to confirm four months later uh, what Malcolm's TV status was. Yeah, is it on... Uh, will I, if I, there's either going to be a photo of my current television or there'll be a photo of the new television in my apartment. So we'll see what happens. Uh, so stay tuned, listeners. If that's not a cliffhanger, I don't know what is. Malcolm still has not bought my TV. Hashtag Malcolm buys Ash's TV. Let's get it trending. There's a lot to look forward to in four months. Maybe I'll be a millionaire or maybe I'll be in further in debt because of because of my bad trades lately. Yeah. Um, Welcome to, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, maybe. Hey, listen, maybe we uh, maybe the Patreon pays off if we have one by now. And uh who knows? Who knows? Maybe the television it goes to someone else. Next week, uh, we're going to cover Samurai Shampoo. Oh, and shit. We're going to cover three episodes Temptuous, tem Temptuous Temperaments, Lethal Lunacy, and Bogus Booty. Uh, those wow, those are all tongue twisters. I know. <laughs> it's, it, I wouldn't expect anything less from uh, Watanabe and his episode titles. We got some really exciting episodes to watch. Uh, we've got a cool guest, too. Uh, he has also not watched anime, so uh, he's going to watch something very unique. Uh, Sasha, you cl yeah. clearly uh, were, were intrigued by the fact that we're covering Samurai Shampoo. Want to give a little tease? I mean, I love anything that Watanabe did. Like, I've seen all of Carol and Tuesday. I've seen Cowboy Bebop. I have not seen Samurai Shampoo, so uh, I will do as you guys instructed me to do for uh, The Wind Rises and see something I haven't seen before, and we'll all share in this new experience together. Exactly. Perfect. Have you seen kids? On, uh, uh, have you seen kids on the slope? That's really good too. That's a watch. I've I actually seen all of Watanabe's. Oh wow! I've seen, um, I've seen all of Watanabe's stuff except for um, uh, Space Dandy. That's the only one I I didn't see yet. I've seen a little bit of Space Dandy, and it is good. Anyway, Sasha, do you, uh, where can people follow you on uh, social? Oh Christ! Um, I am uh, or, Sasha. Or I'm do you want to be followed on social media? That's the question. Well, please, our, please, our guest. please. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Sasha Husband, S-A-C-H-A-H-U-S-B-A-N-D. Um, I am on Twitter as, at Husbandito. Uh, pff, God, I, I'm TikToking now, I think also at Husbandito once every six weeks. So if you like infrequent uh, users, then I'm your guy. Uh, perfect. Uh, anyways, uh, you can follow us at uh, Is This Anime Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you uh, like this, please uh, like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on all platforms, whether it's you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music or Google or wherever else. Uh, it really helps uh, to spread the word of mouth if you leave us a review, uh, give us some stars, and uh, tell your friends about us. And uh, we'll see you next week, virgins. Bye-bye. <laughs>